take yourself so serious. All right. Hebrews 12. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to look at the first three verses together. We will read out loud verses one and three. And I will read verse two on my own. Hebrews chapter 12. Beginning together out loud in verse one. Ready? Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God for consider him that endureth such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be worried and faint in your minds. Let's uh, pray together. The title of the message this morning is this. Forget not the forefathers. Forget not the forefathers. Let's pray. God, I ask this morning that you'd help us as we look at your word and we look at the heritage that we have been given. Lord, it's easy to want to uh, stare out uh, the the uh, windshield at what's ahead and be the best we can be. And Lord, that is necessary and important. But sometimes it doesn't hurt to look up for just a moment in the rearview mirror and see how we got here. And Lord, the journey and the struggles that it took to get here by those who came before us. And so this morning, I pray that as we look back at... Um, at, at many, many different Bible characters and even many different characters of history, that we would be encouraged to walk the right path. We would be appreciative of how we got here. We would, uh, Lord, um, do our best to hold to the fundamentals of the faith. And God, we would continue to celebrate the salvation that we have through your son, just as they did. In Jesus' name, amen. We look at um, a day like today where the decorations are put out and we're reminded that um, um, we're not the only culture that's ever been. Sometimes it's, uh, it's a good reminder to look back and know that there have been other cultures, other people, and uh, we have gotten here. How many of you have ever walked into a kitchen and realized it's been a little while since this kitchen was renovated. Some of you say, I was there this morning. <laughs> Back when I inspected homes uh, uh, to help uh, pay bills, I walked into a kitchen that had appliances in it from the 1950s. And I felt like I was walking into the kitchen of Father Knows Best or the Andy Griffith Show. And we're reminded that, yes, things advance, things change. And things advance and change at church as well. Now, the truths don't change. And the Bible doesn't change, but the truth is uh, we're not doing church, church the same way they did it in the first century. There's nothing wrong with that. We need to be relevant to the culture and reach the culture around us. And so we tailor our church in a way that is uh, all things to all men, yet without sin. However, it does not hurt to look back and see how it was that we got here. And so we look at Hebrews chapter 12, and you notice the first, verse of, uh, first word of verse 1 is, Wherefore? Wherefore. Now, anytime you see the words therefore or wherefore in the Bible, those words act as an arrow pointing back to the verses prior to it. It is building on the thought of what's 
just been stated. And so here we are in Hebrews 12. We find the word wherefore. Well, what thought is just been completed? And that thought is of the biblical forefathers that did it the right way in Hebrews chapter number 11. And we find several different uh, 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 characters or forefathers there that uh, that walked through life and had their struggles and had their strengths and had their faith and at times had their doubt. And God has great highlights to say about them. Hebrews 11 has been described as the hall of faith. The Hall of Faith. Um, it is the dream of everyone who plays professional sports to make it into the Hall of Fame. And they'll have induction ceremonies and they'll make a big deal out of their career stats and how well they did. And uh, uh, God has his own uh, Hall of Fame, but he doesn't put all of the praise on them. Rather, he highlights the faith that they had in an all-powerful God. And so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11, both this morning and this afternoon. And we're going to look at some other passages to complement it. And uh, there won't obviously be any notes on the screen today. So you'll have to listen intently, listen the first time, and take uh, down the notes if you're a note taker. Let me encourage you always to take notes at church and keep your Bible open. And that way you can go back and uh, read view that later. So let's jump in. We're going to look at three uh, aspects about this thought of forget not the forefathers this morning and then three more this afternoon. Let's jump in. Number one, notice their faith, their faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number one. It says there now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Now, if you've never read that verse before, never thought through that verse, you might think, what in the world does that mean? And I heard a preacher describe it this way one time. He said when he was a boy, the philosophy in his home at gatherings was that children were meant to be seen and not heard. I wish that was still true today's culture. Because you go to a gathering and uh, the children are served first and they dominate the conversation oftentimes. But children were meant to be seen and not heard. And children had to fend for themselves when it came to food. And this uh, particular preacher was talking about how that uh, one particular gathering, there was all kinds of food laid out. But one of the main items was fried chicken that had been picked up from a local chicken shop and the food had been put out and he was feeling sick to his stomach that day. So he went on and, and did, his, uh, did, did what he needed to do. When he came back, all he saw were chicken bones. And he said, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. Now, what is faith? Faith has been described many different ways, but faith is something that you can't tangibly uh, hold in your hands. Faith is something that you uh, can't prove, but faith is something that you believe based on the evidence. If I were to take you outside on a windy day and you were to see leaves blowing through the air, I would ask you, how are those leaves moving across the horizon? And you would say, well, they're moving by the wind. And I would say, can you see the wind? And you'd say, well, no. And I'd say, well, then how can you prove that wind exists? Well, the evidence is there. It's moving things around. You say, well, I don't know that I believe in faith. In fact, this week I heard someone say that atheism is just the absence of faith. 
And I would say to the person that says that they have no faith or that there is no such thing as faith, I would ask them this, is there such thing as love? Is there such thing as love? I don't know that we'd find anybody on planet Earth that would argue that love does not exist. And I would say, well, can you see love? Can you hold it in your hands? Can you prove that love is real? You say, well, 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 I don't know that I can do that, but I know love is real because I have felt it. I have seen it expressed Toward me, I have seen uh, uh, acts of love and displays of love. I think about a mom who stands uh, in a courtroom after her son has been murdered. And she looks at the man who she knows murdered her son. And as he's being sentenced, she says, I forgive you. You know what that is? That is a profound act of love. Now, I can't touch love. I can't explain love all the way. I can't hold it in my hands. But I can tell you love is real. And I can tell you faith is just like love. It is real. It is real. And it is powerful. You don't have to be able to go back in a time machine and see God create the planet to know that He created it. You look up at the sky. You look up at the creation. And you know that the creation could not be here without a creator. Nobody looks at a... A helicopter or an airplane or a car or a painting and says, I wonder if there was an explosion that created this. No, if there's a car, there's a manufacturer. There's a painting, there's an artist. And then uh, the snarky uh, evolutionist or atheist say, well, who created the creator? And the answer is nobody. He's always been. He's always been. He exists outside the realm of time and he is the superpower that created it. And you say, well, prove that. Uh, uh, prove that. And I'd say, I can't prove it. That's what makes it faith. But there is an evidence of the things that I hope for based on uh, looking up in the sky. And, and I want that. And I know that's true based on all of the things uh, that go on in, 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 uh, through the Christian, Christian life. Some, somebody has said, Pastor, can you prove that the stories in the Bible are true? It seems a little hard to believe that Samson could have supernatural strength like some kind of a Marvel uh, character or, uh, or, or that, uh, uh, that uh, Joshua could make the sun stand still in the sky for 24 hours. How is that possible? How in the world did Moses part the Red Sea? And they'll throw all these things at you and say, those are nothing more than fairy tales. And I'd say, once you've been transformed by the power of the gospel, God will make those things make sense to you. But we know from Hebrews 11 that these men were praised not for their accomplishments, but for their faith. Now, there are two elements to faith. Let me share them with you here. Letter A, notice God's ability. God's ability. If you're taking notes today, let me encourage you to write this down. There are two elements to faith, and I want to define them for you like this. The first element to faith is this. Faith is believing in God to do the humanly impossible. Faith is believing in God to do the humanly impossible. We want to take our limitations and superimpose them on God. Because I can't create something from nothing. Then how does God do that? Well, He's God. He can create something from nothing. I can't do that. God is unlimited in every way. 
Faith is not just intellectually understanding that God can do the impossible. It's believing it with all of your being, all of your heart. And so faith is believing in God to do the impossible. You cannot see God do the impossible if you don't have faith in the impossible. In fact, look down at verse number six. It says, but without faith, it is impossible. It is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe. There's that faith that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek them. Now, throughout this passage of Hebrews 11, we find that faith was God doing the impossible. In fact, verse number five, we find that it was God that translated or or, or uh, uh, moved Enoch from earth to heaven. Look at verse number five. But by faith, Enoch was translated or was taken up, was raptured that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. But uh, for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, it wasn't Enoch that took himself to heaven. It was God that took Enoch to heaven. It was God that did the impossible. Enoch was there walking the earth one day and then Enoch was gone, taken to heaven. Say, oh, pastor, that sounds hard to believe. With God, all things are possible. Uh, further down in the passage, in fact, we'll look at verse 7 in just a moment, but we find that it was God that drew up the plans for Noah's boat. Now, that, one of the fascinating things about the Bible is all of the science that's in it. That is way ahead of its time. Way ahead of its time. In fact, the oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. First book ever written. And Job has more science in it than any other book of the Bible. And all of the science in Job is accurate. And, uh, there are things like paths in the depths of the oceans or the seas. No one had ever been to the depths of the seas. How would have Job known there were highways in the ocean? Oh, but hundreds, or rather thousands of years later when technology came around and they were able to go down there, what did they find? They found that there was paths in the sea. Huh, f- funny how science keeps catching up to the Bible. Job tells us, or rather, I think it's the book of Psalms tells us that the earth is round. Well, that wasn't discovered until Columbus sailed around, what, 5,000 years later? After, after that had been written, 4,000 years later? And here uh, Columbus discovers, hey, wait, the earth isn't uh, flat. The Bible tells us that the, the earth revolves around the sun. Oh, wait a minute, that wasn't discovered until thousands of years later. And what do we find? Science keeps catching up with the Bible. Now, science, the Bible is not necessarily a science book, but where science is given in the Bible, it's 100% accurate. It has been proven accurate. Why? Because the Bible was written by God who created the heavens and the earth. Part of that is that God had Noah build a boat. And as you read about the dimensions of the boat back in Genesis chapter 6, you find that that was the perfect set of dimensions to float something on the water. In fact, they have taken those very dimensions and they have built warships. And it's unsinkable. It's unsinkable. Now, it's sinkable if you put a hole in it, but it can't be tipped over. 
Why? Because God drew up the plans. God drew up the plans even before man's architect wasn't there. It was God that drew up the plans for Noah's boat. It was God that sought out Noah to build the boat. It was God that sent the flood that destroyed all of life. Look at verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by which uh, he condemned the world and became heirs of righteousness, uh, which is by faith. And we're going to come back and look at Noah in just a moment. But let me remind you, it was God that did the impossible. You know, it can't just uh, have a storm cloud come over the sky and rain for 40 days and cover the tallest mountain. No, no, no. The Bible says in Genesis 6 that the floods came up from below and above and water poured in. One of the funniest things that evolutionists try to explain is how the Grand Canyon got there. They say that the Colorado River uh, uh, worked all of that dirt away and created this gigantic canyon. No, 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 my friends. God poked a hole in the sky and poured a deluge right there where the Grand Canyon is and washed all of that away at one time. You have to explain to me why it is that fish fossils have been found on top of mountaintops. You have to explain to me why trees uh, uh, rot or, or, or fossilize uh, through layers of sediment that supposedly took thousands of years to get there. How did that happen? The answer is that it happened through a worldwide flood that God sent. Why? Because God can do the impossible. It was God that led Abraham to go to a promised land. Look at verses 8 and 9. By faith... Hebrews 11, 8, 9, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he uh, which he should, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacle, which Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So the story here is that Abraham's a very, very rich man. He's married at the time. His name was Abram. He's married to a woman named Sarai. And they're living in a, 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 a very comfortable lifestyle, have their own home, have lots of, uh, of capital, lots of money. And God comes to Abram one day and says, I want you to take your family and I want you to leave. Okay, God, where am I going? I'll tell you when you get there. What? This would be like you coming home and telling your wife, I just quit my job and I rented a a, a U-Haul and we're loading up the U-Haul and we're going to move. Once she gets past the shock of you quitting your job and moving, she says, well, where are we moving? And you say, I don't know. What? You don't know moving? Well, God told me to do this. I think we need to have your head checked by a doctor. You turn around, your wife's on her phone. What are you doing? I'm, I'm calling a, a, a therapist. You need help. Well, Sarai followed along. They left everything behind, most everything behind. And they began to journey. They didn't know where they were going. God told them, I'm going to take you to a promised land. And I'm going to turn you into the father of many nations. And I'm going to make you, your seed, bless all of the earth. God could see the perspective from heaven and he could see ahead thousands of years when Abraham's son would become Jesus who was born to a woman named Mary and how that that line of Mary would go back through Abraham and how Jesus would die on the cross for all of our sins. And and every nation of the world has been blessed because of the person of Jesus coming to earth and God walking the earth, dying for our sins. And so it was God that led Abraham out. 
to leave a wealthy, comfortable lifestyle behind and begin to explore and head to a new land. And by the way, where he would settle would become modern-day Israel. You think that's an accident? I say it's not. God knew what he was doing. Remember, it's, it's God that does the impossible. Well, what other impossible things has God done here in Hebrews 11? It was God that opened Sarah's womb in her old age. Look at verse 11. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Some of you Bible scholars here, one of you uh, uh, shout out to me and tell me how old was Sarah, her name was changed uh, from Sarah to Sarah, when she birthed a child? She was 90 years old. How old was her husband? It wasn't 120. He was 99, wasn't he? 99 or 100. He was an old man. Now, you have to remember, they lived longer, and so they had children later in life. The equivalent today would be a 60-year-old woman having a baby. I'd say that that isn't going to happen, right? But with God, all things are possible. God told Sarah, or God told Sarah and Abraham, or rather Abraham and his wife, he said, you will have a baby. And then menopause came and went. And she said, God didn't keep his promise. And God said, no, 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 no. You will have a baby. And God opened up her womb and gave her a baby in her old age. God did the impossible. God did the impossible. Faith is believing in God that he can do the humanly impossible. Now, it was God that looked ahead in time and drew up the parallels between Calvary and Isaac's sacrifice. Look at verse 17. You can find this story back in Genesis 22 if you're taking notes. The story about Abraham leaving and going to his own land, that can be found in Genesis 12. But uh, look at verse 17 with me here. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and, uh, uh, and he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, or his only beloved son. Now, what happened here? One day Abraham was uh, laying in bed. His son now is 30 years old. He's pushing 130 years old. And God says to Abraham, he says, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want, the son that you love, and I want you to take him on a three-day journey, and I want you to walk up to a mountaintop I'll show you, and I want you to lay him down on an altar, and I want you to sacrifice him. And he's thinking, what? So they do that. They get to the, the place, the mountain range, and God tells Abraham which one to go up. And he doesn't tell Isaac what's going on. Remember, Isaac's a 30-year-old boy here. Walking up the mount. Isaac says to his dad, Dad, we've got the wood. We've got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham looks at his son after a long time of silence, I believe. And he says, God will provide the sacrifice. You say, Pastor, what a bizarre story. Why would God have 
a man who he made wait well into his old age that give his son to? Why would he have him put him up on an altar and, and, and run through the system of having him take a knife and plunge it into his son and kill him? Why would, why, that is bizarre, pastor. That is a weird story. And the answer is because Abraham, or rather Isaac, was an Old Testament picture of Jesus Christ. Can I float a theory out to you? It is it is most likely the case that the mountain range that they went to was the same mountain range that Jesus was crucified on. It would not at all shock me when, if we get to heaven and we find out that it was Golgotha Hill that that sacrifice was set up. would not at all shock me. I can't prove it, but it would not at all surprise me. I would say this, why would God have them go to that same mountain range and not have them go up that very mountain? But there they were, and just like Jesus says, a man in his 30s was nailed to a cross to become the sin of the world. Uh, uh, He had Isaac be an Old Testament picture of what would happen. And as that knife was in the air, and Abraham was ready to plunge it down into his son because he believed in God, God sent an angel and stopped that knife on the way down and said, I know your faith is real. You do not need to kill your son. They look over and there's a ram caught in the bushes. And they were able to put that up there in place of, of, um, uh, of Isaac. And so God was the one that drew up the parallels. God had the foresight to look ahead thousands of years in time and see how his son Jesus would die and draw up that picture way back in Genesis chapter 22. Why? Because it's God that does the impossible. It was God that opened Rachel's womb, allowing her to give birth to Jacob, or rather Joseph and Benjamin. Jo- uh, uh, Rachel married to Jacob, couldn't have babies. And uh, Leah, who he had to marry through trickery and deceivery of Jephthah, he married Leah and then he married Rachel as well. And uh, Leah kept pumping out the children, but Rachel's womb was barren. And finally, uh, Rachel was given, gave birth to Joseph and then God opened up her womb and gave birth to Benjamin. Why? Because God does the impossible. There are couples, many couples, who are godly, God-fearing people, and God, for some reason or another, has chosen to seal off the womb and prevent them from having babies. And they wonder, what can be done? What can happen? And, and can God open the womb? And make no doubt about it, God can give a baby to any couple He chooses. And so don't stop calling out to Him in prayer. He can do the impossible. He needs your faith. It was God that gave Joseph his dreams and then fulfilled them. It was God that sent the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. It was God that parted the Red Sea for the Israelites. Remember there? They're trapped. They've got rocks on both sides. They've got the Egyptian army pressing down behind them. They've got the Red Sea in front of them. And then all of a sudden, the Red Sea parted in two and the land dried in front of them. And across the Red Sea they went. And then uh, uh, the, the, uh, the Egyptian forces say, well, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. So they start to cross and then all of a sudden, the Red Sea closed and it killed them. Do you know that in the Red Sea today... If you go under the surface, there is a natural path in that very location that serves as a walkway. You know that? That's no accident. That's no accident. Some people have said, well, it wasn't really the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea, which is like three inches deep. And I say to that, well, that's more impressive that God was able to kill an entire army with three inches of water. (laughs) That's equally miraculous. It was God that parted the Red Sea. 
It was God that would make the bitter waters sweet. It was God that sent bread called manna from the sky to feed the Israelites. It was God that dropped the walls of Jericho and delivered uh, the Jericho city of Jericho to the Israelites. It was God that gave Samson supernatural strength. It was God that oversaw David's battle with Goliath, guaranteeing a victory. And it was God that supernaturally protected David while on the run from an envious and, and, and wicked King Saul. It was God's Faith is believing in God to do the impossible. How many here believe that God can do the impossible? Let me hear you say amen. Amen. But that's not all of what faith is. See, faith isn't just what God does. Faith is about what we do. Letter B, notice their actions. We looked at letter A, their, their ability. Letter B, their actions. Let me give you a second part of the definition of faith here. We said under letter A that faith is believing in God to do the impossible. But faith is, believing, uh, faith is being involved in doing the possible. Faith is being involved in doing the possible. You know what's not good enough? What's not good enough is for you to wake up every morning and sit in your rocking chair with your cup of coffee and pray and say, Lord, help the missionaries in China. And Lord, would you help people over there to get saved? And Lord, would you help my uh, church family? And Lord, would you help the sick? Lord, would you please do uh, the impossible? And then you get up and you don't do anything to serve the Lord. Boy, you're, you're doing your part in prayer. And that's important. You need to pray for God to do the impossible, my friend. Faith is not just asking God to do the impossible. Faith is getting your hands dirty. Faith is getting involved. It's easy to sit there and say, Lord, would you help the, the city of Bridgeport with all those broken people? Would you help some of them to come to our church? Would you help them to get saved? But if you're not willing to get up and roll up your sleeves and do what God uh, has called us to do, then God's not going to do the impossible. You see, we see here in Hebrews 11 that while God did the impossible, He needed men to do the possible, for Him to do the impossible. Let's look back at this passage, Hebrews 11, and let's look at about uh, let's look at how God, how man was involved in God doing the impossible. First, notice Enoch. Enoch. What do we say about God? How what God did? He translated him to heaven, right? He was walking the earth one day, and poof, he's gone. God took him to heaven. You say, wow, that's pretty great. God did the impossible. Do you know that Enoch had to do his part before God would do his? Look at verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated, that was God's part, that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. Look here. For before his translation, he had this testimony he, that he pleased God. Here's Enoch, goes out every day, takes a walk, and he's praying and talking to the Lord. And he got so close to God. One day he stopped where he was and he said, I'm several uh, miles from home and it's time for me to turn around and go home, Lord. And I'm going to continue to talk to you while I'm walking home. And God said to Enoch, he said, you're closer to me than you are your own home. Let me just go ahead and I love you so much. Let me just go ahead and take you on up to heaven. Do you know that if Enoch had not walked with God, God would have not translated him. You know that because Enoch did the possible, God did the impossible. Oh, pastor, I have great faith. Yeah, but what are the actions behind your faith? James tells us that faith without works is dead. It's dead. Enoch, boy, he did the possible. He walked with God and then God did his part. How about Noah? How about Noah? 
Uh, we know that God in Genesis 6 gave, gave great detail on how to build the boat. The dimensions, the type of wood, how to pitch it inside and out. Uh, 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 all, of, all of the details were given to Noah. But what if Noah would have said, you know what? Nah, I'm not going to do it. God, do you know that if I go in the middle of my backyard and I start constructing this gigantic boat, don't you know how my neighbors are going to pick on me? Don't you know I'm going to be the talk in the market in town? Hey, Noah, what you building the boat for? Oh, well, uh, it's going to rain. <laughs> What's rain? Water is going to fall out of the sky. <laughs> That's never even happened before. Rain came after the flood, for those of you that don't know. It didn't rain before the flood. Um, hey, Noah. Hey, how's that boat going 400 miles from the land? <laughs> Noah had to build the boat and do the possible before God could do the impossible. Oh, God gave him the dimensions, but Noah had to obey, and he had to obey every detail. What if he had not pitched the boat inside and out, wiped the tar on both sides? All of a sudden, it's raining real hard. The floods are coming all over the earth, and they spring a leak. Oh, I guess we didn't pitch that part of the boat inside and out. You see, they had to obey every detail. They had to do the possible so God could do the impossible. How about uh, when God sent a worldwide flood? Noah said, well, God, I built the boat, but I didn't get in the boat. I, I just, you know, I was tired that day. And I'd worked so hard building the boat that I just didn't feel like getting on the boat. Or God, I know you sent the animals, but I didn't get up and, and organize them and put them in their various uh, 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 places on the boat. And, and, and you know, I, I, I was just too tired. And, and the boat's sitting there and it's floating up and down on the water. But Noah's dead and none, uh, none of humanity exists anymore. Why? Noah had to do the, impos- the possible so God could do the impossible. How about Abraham? How about Abraham? Look at verses 8 and 9 again. Look how, look how God praises Abraham for his action with his faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should, after receiving inheritance, obeyed. And he went out. And knowing whether uh, he went, by faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same process. Uh, what if God had said, uh, Abraham, I need you to leave all of your things behind and live in a tent the rest of your life as you move across the country or move, you move across the world and you're going to go to a place I'm going to show you. And, uh, and Abraham said, God, you know what my wife's going to think about that? There's no way I can do that. You know how settled I am? I only have five years left on my mortgage, God. How am I going to abandon that now? God, everyone's going to think I'm a kook. My family's going to make fun of me. I'm never going to see my family again. And God said, Abraham, if you'll do the possible, I'll do the impossible. I will give you and your wife a baby. You can't have one. I'll give you a baby. He said, if you'll do the possible, I'll do the impossible. I will turn you into many, many nations. And one of those nations, I will make my favorite country. Abraham had to do the possible before God could do the impossible. How about Abraham and Sarah? Look at verse 11. Hebrews 11, 11, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. What did Sarah do? 
Sarah stayed at it. She stayed faithful to God and each other. You know, and we're, we're going to talk about mistakes and all that in just a few minutes, but what if Sarah had said, Abraham, I can't get pregnant, and it's not my fault, it's your fault. I'm going to go find another man. See ya. And just left in the middle of the night. You say, Pastor, women don't get that desperate, do they? Oh, yes, they do. Oh, yes, they do. And while Sarah didn't make every decision proper, and again, we'll look at failures in a minute. While Sarah didn't do everything proper, Sarah stayed faithful to God. Sarah stayed faithful to her husband. And at the age of 90, Sarah miraculously became pregnant. Why? Because Sarah did the possible and allowed God to do the impossible. What if Abraham had not been willing to obey and take Isaac up on that mount? And and by the way, let me just say this too. Isaac willingly laid on that altar. Isaac wasn't some six-year-old boy who said, "Uh, Dad, why are you putting me up here for? This is cool. (laughs) Do you know how easy it is for a 30-year-old boy to escape from a 130-year-old man? Come here, son. I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Do you think he couldn't have gotten away? He laid on that altar willingly. What if Abraham and Isaac had not been willing to do the possible? God could have never drawn up this picture of salvation in the Old Testament for us. Because they did the possible. God was equipped to do the impossible. How about Rachel? Had she not stayed faithful to God, she could have never become impregnated with Joseph, who would turn around and save the world from starvation. What if Joseph had given up when he was sold by his brothers into slavery and bought by Potiphar and then lied about uh, uh, about a, an indiscretion and had his character smeared and thrown into prison? What if Joseph had given up on God and quit? Then the world could have never ever been saved by famine uh, 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 from famine. God was the one that sent the plenty and then sent the famine and then Joseph was ready and equipped to steward the plenty to save the world from famine. Famine. If uh, uh, Joseph did the possible and God did the impossible. Look at verse 29. Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 29. It says, There by faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, which the Egyptians, as saying to do, were drowned. You go back to the story there and you read about that. What you find in Exodus is that God told Moses, Raise your rod. Raise your rod. You hold out that rod over the water and I'll split it. What if Moses said, look, the leaders already think I'm I'm dumb for even doing this. They're mad at me for bringing them here, even though I brought them here under obedience to you. If I hold my rod up while standing on top of this rock and that doesn't split, they're going to kill me. And you know what? They probably would have. But by faith, he did the possible. He held out the rod, and God did the impossible. God's not asking anybody here to be a superhero. God's just asking you to do what's right in front of you to do. You do the possible by faith. 
Even though you're not sure of the outcome. And you let God do His work. You let God do the impossible. Let me give you just a couple more here. Uh, 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 Moses was told, strike the flint rock. And when he struck the rock, boy, water came pouring out that not only took care of over a million Israelites, but also their animals. What a miracle. But uh, Moses had to first strike the rock and then the water came pouring out. Joshua was told, walk the Israelites around the wall uh, six times on six days. And on the seventh day, walk them around seven times. And so Moses, or Joshua did that and then shout and then the walls fell. Joshua could have said, I'm going to shout. Nothing's going to happen. But no, Joshua did the possible. He obeyed and God did the impossible. He dropped the wall. How about Rahab? Rahab is found in here. Rahab, her, her title in the Bible is known as the harlot. The harlot. She was a woman of sexual indiscretions, but Rahab knew her lifestyle was broken and rotten, and she hid the men who were there to spy out the city of Jericho, hit them up on the roof, and then she told them, I believe in your God. And, and, and what did uh, those men tell her? They said, leave this scarlet thread hanging out your window, and everyone gathered in your house. When the walls fall, your house will be spared. What if Rahab had said, you know, i got to go to the market, or I'm not sure that's even going to matter. I, I don't care, and I'm not going to stay in this space. Well, she was there. She did the possible, and God did the impossible. Did you know that Rahab is one of the ancestors of Jesus Christ? Because she did the possible. God was able to do the impossible through her. Faith is uh, trusting in God's ability, believing in God's ability to do the impossible. Faith is being involved in doing the possible. What about Samson? He killed uh, many of the Israeli armies that were oppressing them. But he had to do his part in keeping the Nazarite vows. And as long as he kept the vows, boy, God did his part. And then we see that he quit keeping the Nazarite vows and he had his head shaved. And then what happened? His strength left him. He quit doing the possible. God quit doing the impossible. And so you get the point here is that you've got to do your part. Now, let me make it practical this morning. Can you look up here at me? Is God calling you to do something great? God calling you to an area of ministry or help in this church. You say, oh, pastor, I don't think I can work in the nursery. A baby might spit up all over my outfit. I'm glad I can't work the nursery. I'm busy, amen? But we need women to watch nursery. Do you know what the service would be like right now if there wasn't a nursery going on? It'd be a mess be very difficult to understand. Pastor, I don't know if I can usher. You might call on me to pray while I'm down there, and that terrifies me. Can you do the possible and let God do the impossible? Pastor, I don't know about taking one of those community day tracks and inviting someone to church. The thought of confronting someone, inviting them to church, boy, I don't... What, I, how is anyone ever going to walk through the doors of the church because of me? You take the track and you hand it to someone and you do the possible and you let God do the impossible in the background. You say, Pastor, I've got a child that's an adult that's wayward and running from the Lord. Pastor, what can I do? You can get on your knees and you can pray. You can live a life that's righteous before God. You can be consistent and faithful to Him. You can give them to the Lord in prayer. You can do your part and encourage them and then you let God do the impossible. You're not going to do the possible. God can't do the impossible. It is even possible somebody here today, God wants you to pick up and go to the mission field. Pick up and go to a foreign land. 
Preach in another language that you don't currently speak or live in a third world country and, 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 and deny all of the conveniences of living the American lifestyle. And you say, Pastor, that's scary to me. How could God ever do anything with me? I'm a little old nobody. You do the possible and you let God do the impossible. What is faith? Faith is God's ability, yes, but it's also our actions. Number two, number one, we looked at their faith. Number two, let's look at their failures, their failures. Here's something we tend to do in the, uh, with Bible characters. We make them out to be superheroes. You know, the, the DC and Marvel series have their set of superheroes, right? And I don't know who they all are, but, um, but some of you here, you comic book nerds, could tell me all about that. We kind of turn Bible characters into those as well, you know. They're these larger-than-life people. You'll hear people talk about the Apostle Paul, and he was the greatest Christian ever to walk the earth. Apostle Paul was a great man, and I'm not trying to throw any doubt on that. But can I tell you about the Apostle Paul? I can take you some passages in the Bible and show you where he had some sin problems. He had struggles. He really did. There were times where Paul lacked faith. There were times where Paul doubted. There were times where Paul's priorities were backwards and wrong. And there were times where Paul was stubborn and went against God's will for his life. That's in Scripture. Can I tell you today that being a great Christian doesn't mean you've got to be a perfect Christian? Let me give you some Bible characters and tell you about some mistakes they made along the way. Did you know that after Noah came off the ark, that Noah got drunk? unclothed himself, laid nude in his tent, and allowed himself to be exposed to his son. Does that sound like a great hero of the faith to anybody here? But Noah's this, this great Bible character that saved the world from a flood. Yeah, but Noah failed. How about uh, Abraham? Do you know that God told Abraham, I want you to leave everything behind and only take your wife, and go. And you know who he brought with him? He brought Lot, his nephew, and he brought his dad. He disobeyed. He didn't get full obedience. How about Abraham when he uh, came into a city, a couple of different cities, and he knew how beautiful his wife was, so he lied about her and said, no, 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 this isn't my wife, this is my sister. Boy, Abraham messed up, didn't he? Abraham flubbed the dub. He failed. He messed up. He lacked faith at times. But, but you have to remember, Abraham was called the friend of God. How about Sarah? Some angels come to visit Abraham. He has this big meal prepared. He's sitting out on a blanket out in front of the tent. He's feeding these guys. And, and one of them was probably an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. And Jesus most likely told Abraham, don't lose faith. You're going to have a baby. And you know what Sarah was? She was behind the tent in her chair. And she goes, that's not true and then the angel says Sarah laughed and she goes no I didn't I'm perfect I would never laugh at that you know Sarah also took her handmaid and allowed Abraham to marry her as well. And Abraham had a baby through Hagar. Boy, what, what is that? Sarah's failure. 
You know, we find sins being generational. How about Isaac, Abraham's son? He also took his wife into a city and lied about her and said, This is my sister, following the sins of the father. How about uh, Jacob? Jacob's name means trickster. And Jacob would lie and deceive to get his brother's uh, blessing and his brother's birthright and then lie and deceive his father-in-law on his way out. And Jacob would have to wrestle with the Lord and have one leg made shorter than the other in order for uh, God to really get his attention and God to really set him straight and take all the conditions of his ability to be able to believe in God. Jacob uh, uh, struggled with sin. He failed. He fell. He messed up. How about Moses? Moses would kill a man, commit murder. Rahab lived in harlotry, but, but yet still became uh, one of the great, 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 great grandmothers of Jesus Christ. Samson struggled with being a womanizer and uh, married women he shouldn't have and was involved in relationships with women he shouldn't have, and that was his weakness. How about King David? King David, the great King David. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, yet we know that he numbered the people when he wasn't supposed to. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He committed murder. He murdered Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, to cover up his sin. You see, my friends, while these people, these forefathers, they were great men of faith, they weren't perfect. You say, well, pastor, are you telling us that to make these people look bad? No, I'm telling you that to be an encouragement to you. Some of you here, you look at your your flaws, you look at your failures, you look at your past, you look at your inabilities, you look at your uh, 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 your struggles with sin, and you say, God could never use me, I struggle with this. God could never use me, I struggle with that. You know, again, Noah struggled with being a drunk, but God still used him. Samson struggled with being a womanizer, but God still used him. Now, let me be really clear here. I'm not trying to tell you that you can live in sin and have faith. That's not what I'm saying. You see, because in each one of these stories where sin was present in their lives, they took a time out from having faith in order to live in sin. And in each one of these cases where these men took that time out to commit sin, boy, they suffered the consequences for their decision. Four years. But they fell. They messed up. Some of you here have fallen and messed up and you think, I'm disqualified. Oh, pours me. I can never do anything for the Lord. Yes, you can. Get up and serve Jesus and have faith. Number three, we see their finish. Their finish. Now, I finished the sermon with this right here. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16 says this, For a just man falls seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked fall into mischief. The wicked fall into mischief. It's not about how you start the race. It's about how you finish the race. Some of you have fallen and you're sitting on the sidelines and you're licking your wounds and you quit. It's not time to do that. It's time to finish. Let me share something really cool with you here. Hebrews chapter 11. This is called the Hall of Faith. This is not a chapter full of names of people who never made any mistakes. Because most every one of them in here, there are recorded mistakes of their life in the Bible. In fact, I believe the only two major, major characters in the Bible were not a single sin about their lives are recorded would be Joseph and Daniel. There may be another one, but Joseph and Daniel are the main ones that come to mind. And i got to tell you that those were men who sinned as well. We just don't have the recordings of those in the Bible. You say, well, why did God record the failures of the other men? To show us that 
they were human. To show us that while they can mess up, they can get up and keep moving forward for the Lord. That yes, there is still a future. And I'm here today to tell you the one who's wearied and discouraged that every single person in Hebrews 11, they have one thing in common. It's this. They finished their race strong. Every one of them. Every single name you find in there, they finished their race strong. Oh, you might have fallen. It's time to pick yourself up and dust yourself off and take off and keep running your race and finish it finish it strong. I finished the sermon this morning with this quote by our former president, Teddy Roosevelt. He says this, It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes uh, short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? who knows great enthusiasms, the the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. question today is this, are you in the fight? Now, the sermon today has been pointed completely at those who are believers. But let me remind you how they became believers. They put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save them. If you're here today and you've not yet trusted Christ to save you, can I tell you, it's super easy. Super easy. Going to heaven is really easy. You must forget anything about your works or your belief system You must look up at the cross where Jesus died. You must understand that he didn't stay there. Jesus isn't still hanging on a cross. Jesus was put in the ground. Three days later, he rose again. He holds the keys to death, to hell, and the grave. And one day, death is going to come up on all of our bodies. But my friend, death does not have to take your soul to hell. Jesus defeated that. He offers to you a gift called everlasting life. It's free of charge. All it requires is your faith. You believe in Jesus and He will save your soul. He will save your soul. It's really simple. When I was a small boy, four years old, April 8, 1988, sitting on the front row of Central Baptist Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, I understood that I was a sinner and I was going to die in my sins and go to a place called hell if I didn't get help. I understood that Jesus had already become my sin on the cross. That evening, I sat there on that front pew, and my little four-year-old head was bowed, and I asked Jesus to come in my heart and save me. You say, can a four-year-old really be saved? Let me remind you that Jesus said that you need to come to him with childlike faith. Not a skeptical faith, childlike faith. Some of you sit out here today, and outwardly or inwardly, you're mocking my sermon. You find it funny. You think it's shallow. You know, anybody can be a skeptic of truth. It takes someone who's willing to look at themselves in the mirror, see how wretched they are in their sin, and bow their soul and their heart in humility and accept Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven. He's already acquitted your crimes, but He's waiting on you to accept that. If you're not willing to do that, you're going to go to hell one day. Not because God wants to send you there, 
but because he will not allow you in if you're not willing to accept what Jesus did on the cross. You see, it's pride that blinds us from the truth. We must take off the glasses of pride. We must put on the glasses of humility. We must see ourselves as a sinner. We must see him as our Savior. And we must believe that he is the one who has the power to forgive our sins and give us that free gift of everlasting life. The Bible says this. It says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Don't delay. You're not going to get to heaven based on what you do. You're going to get into heaven based on what he did and your faith in that. His work on the cross is sufficient. You just need to believe in it. For those of you that already have done that, are you, are you really all in with the forefathers? Are you all in doing the work or have you fallen and not gotten back up? The just man falls, yes, but he gets up. Are you, have you gotten up or are you moving forward? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, thank you for this morning. I pray that this sermon would encourage the discouraged, would challenge us not to try to live the Christian life trying to be a superhero, doing the impossible, but, Lord, just simply doing the possible in front of us and allowing you to do what you do best. So the one today here that isn't saved, may today be the day that they are rescued from the penalty of their sins. They are, their sentence in heaven is acquitted. They can have peace with their eternal God. With their heads bowed nice so close, if you're here today and you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you, boy, it's super easy. If I can do it as a four-year-old boy, you sure can do it right now. You must lay aside your pride and just call on Jesus. Romans 10 says this, For whosoever, that's anybody, shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. You must see your need of desperation in your sin. You must call on Jesus to rescue you from that sin through the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. Right there where you're at, will you just pray this very simple prayer? And by the way, you only need to do this once. Once you do this, you become part of the family of God. You don't ever need to do it again. But if you've not yet done this, can I encourage you to call on Jesus to save you right where you're at? Will you just pray this prayer out of faith in your heart? Just say, Dear Lord Jesus... Right below your breath. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know my sin is wrong. I know I deserve eternal punishment for my sin. I turn from my unbelief. And I believe in you. Who died on the cross for my sins. Who rose from the dead. Save my soul. Give me the gift of eternal life. And take me to heaven one day. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer for the first time, and you meant it with your heart, and you trusted in Jesus to be your Savior, could I rejoice with you? Would you just hold up your hand right where you're at? No one's looking. You prayed that prayer for the first time, and you just hold it up so I can rejoice with you. I see a hand. Is there anybody else? How many of you here today would say, Pastor, I, I'm not doing the possible. My faith is lacking because I'm not doing what I ought to be doing for the Lord. Pastor, pray for me that God would help my faith to be there. That I would do the possible and trust Him to do the impossible. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Pastor, pray for me that I'd do my part. I need to do more for the Lord. How many here today would say, Pastor, help me. Pastor, rather pray for me that God would help me 
to finish my Christian faith strong. That I wouldn't quit. That I would stay the course no matter what's ahead. That my faith would stay strong to the end. I'd be faithful to him. If that's you, would you hold up your hand? Pastor, pray for me that I'd be faithful to the very end. Lord, today would you help us as we consider our forefathers. And Lord, yes, they failed. Lord, their faith was strong at times. And God, all of these in Hebrews 11 finished strong. May that be our testimony as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. The altar's open. I encourage you to come and kneel and pray and talk to the Lord. Ask Him to help you to be men and women of faith. Men and women who do your part. Men and women who walk with the Lord. Men and women who rely on Him to do the impossible as you do the possible. The altar's open this morning. If you have not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus and you'd like to do that, Pastor Mike is standing down front. He can take the Bible and show you how to do that. If you're here today and you um, have been saved but not yet baptized, our baptismal waters are ready. We would love to help you follow the Lord in that decision. 